Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. This is God's Word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely, and he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had. All she had to live on. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for cutting through the the noise, uh, all the confusion in our culture, in, in bringing us the truth. Uh, your word is a stable, a firm foundation. Holy Spirit, please now push it into our hearts, myself included. Would you help us? Show us what it means to love you and to love our neighbor. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So kids and teenagers, do your parents ever ask you to clean your room at a bad time? When it's, when it's not a good time for you? Does this ever happen to you? It happened to me a lot growing up. And I remember one time specifically, I was 10 or 12 years old. And I really wanted to go over to my neighbor friend's house because something was going on there. It was going to be awesome. We got done with dinner, and I said, Mom, Dad, can I go to my neighbor friend's? 
And I said, sure, but you got to clean your room first. I was like, oh, you me. So I walk in my room, and I quickly realize this is going to take forever. It's a total mess. You can barely see the floor. It's just clothes, you know, junk all over the place. And I realized this is going to take forever if I was going to actually clean my room the right way. So I got, I got innovative, and I said, you know what I could do? Is I could do a cheat code, a shortcut. Um, I don't know what it means in your house to have a clean room, but in, in my house, it meant the floor had to, there couldn't be anything on the floor, and there had to be like a pretty good amount of organization on the shelves and the desks and the closet. Um, so what I did is I just looked at one half of the room and I just pushed everything under the bed, one half of the room. Just jammed it under there, it's kind of smelly, kind of stinky. I took everything on the other half of the room, I threw it in the closet. I was like, close the closet, put the little curtain down under the bed. I was like, look, it looks great in here. Clean the room. It only took me two minutes. So I just said, hey, Mom, Dad, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to my friend's house. See you later. Um, I just, I yelled, you know, I'm, I'm done cleaning my room and ran out of the house. Of course, my parents, parents know when something's up and they immediately knew. Uh, he didn't, there's no way he cleaned his room that fast. Now, fortunately, I was gone. I was out of reach before cell phones, so I was at my friend's house. There's no way for them to get a hold of me. But let me ask you this. When I got home that night, do you think my parents were, were pleased with me when they, they went in my room and saw under the bed and in the closet? Do you think they were, they were pleased with my obedience? No. They were, they were not only not pleased, uh, they were... They were pretty disappointed. They were upset. I had to, not only did I have to clean my room, I, I was punished for lying to them. Uh, and of course, when I said, look, technically, Mom, technically, Dad, I, I did clean my room. If you saw, the floor was clean, and the, the shelves were clean, so technically, I obeyed. That did not help at all. It did not help. It did not make the situation better. Uh, I, was, I was in trouble, and I had to re-clean my room. I tell a story to, to make this point is that we think, like 12-year-old Brandon, we think that surface-level obedience will please God. We think that superficial, one-dimensional um, obedience, we think that that will, will please God, but it doesn't. We think that um, if a casual observer were to walk by and see our life, as long as it looks good to a casual observer... We're all set. We're good to go. God is pleased with us. But that is not the case at all. In fact, Jesus says in our passage today that when we do this, it actually makes us more condemnable, more guilty before God. When we do this, we miss the entire point of God's law, of the Bible. This shallow obedience does nothing good for us or for our relationship with God. And everybody does this. We all do this in our life. We all obey God on a surface level and we don't, we don't let Him in deep down into our lives. We don't let obedience go all the way down to our hearts. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to be answering this question. What is true obedience? From God's perspective, not this surface, shallow obedience that we so naturally want to do, but true obedience. So let's look, starting in verse 28. So we see this scribe, 
and he seems to be sincere. Not all scribes are bad. And he, he sees that Jesus is wise, and he comes and asks him a question. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? And this is a, this is a really good question. When you think about uh, the Old Testament, so you've got the Ten Commandments, which is the central moral law. Then you've got this expanded, the Torah, with various civil laws and ceremonial laws. And then you have the, the rabbis that have added to this. And there's apparently 613 laws. And you just see it's boom, boom, boom. So this guy is coming. He's saying, hey, which one's the most important? What, what, what is the core of the law? And by asking this question, he's saying, what's the logic? What is the logic behind all the laws in the Old Testament? And look at what Jesus says. He answers with verse 29. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jesus is quoting what's called the Shema. It means listen, listen from Deuteronomy 6.4. And he says, this is the most important rule. This is the most important rule you need to follow as a human being. If you don't do anything else, love God with all that you are. So I'll ask you, do you love God with your heart and with your mind and with your soul and with your strength? Is this the most important rule in your life? Does this trump every other rule, every other commandment? Is this the one that trumps them all? Jesus says it should be, it ought to be. But Jesus goes on because he knows that many have said, hey, I, I love God, look, I really love God. But then the very next thing they do is they go and they abuse their neighbor, they oppress their neighbor, they're mean to their friends. So he says... He follows it up by saying the second is to love your neighbor. And when you think neighbor, just think uh, the word literally means near, someone who's near you, anyone who you rub shoulders with in life, not just the guy who owns the house next to you. Uh, so Jesus follows it up. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 33, you see the scribe, he likes and approves of Jesus' answer. He's like, he's very enthusiastic. He says, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. And he adds this one thing which is very important. He says, to obey these two commands is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then we see Jesus affirms, affirms the scribe. He says, you're right. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven. And by doing this, Jesus gives us the logic of the entire Old Testament law. He tells us this is what's behind the law. This is the motive. The motive, the reason for the law is to teach us to love God and to love our neighbor, to love those who are near to us. And if you have not, if you are not motivated by love, when you obey and you're not motivated by love, then you have missed the point of the law. You have missed it, the very purpose of obedience. So going back to, to little Brandon's messy room, if all my parents cared about was that the floor was clean and that the desk, the desk looked okay, if all they cared about is what a casual observer would see when they walked by the room, 
then my, my cleaning job was perfectly fine. There's no reason they should be upset with me. But they, they cared about more than that. They cared about my heart. They wanted me to be an obedient and submissive son. They wanted to teach me to be obedient and submissive. And they, they wanted me to learn to be a good steward of all that I had. So when I, when I cleaned my room in a superficial way, and I, at the same time I was failing to submit to their authority, failing to be a good son, and failing to steward my things, it didn't, it didn't accomplish at all what the rule was there for. And that's exactly what happens when, when we, we take God's commands and we obey them on, on a surface level. So how does this apply? Well, you can, you've probably already been applying it to yourselves, but let me just think of some other ways. First, anytime you read a command in the Bible, you can ask this question, why is this here? Why does God want me to live this way? And the answer is, He wants you to learn how to love Him and how to love those in your life. He wants you to learn that. Secondly, a, a diagnostic question you can ask yourself. Um, or two, two diagnostic questions. The first is, by what criteria do you judge yourself? What, what is a good day in your life? If you, when you lay down in bed at night, you think to yourself, yeah, I, I did a good job today. What needs to happen for you to feel that way? To say it another way, uh, if I do blank, I feel that God is pleased with me. What is that blank for you? If I do blank, I feel that God is pleased with me. Jesus is telling us that we have to demote all other rules, all other laws that we would establish above His law. Whether it's, you know, for me, it's often, if I'm self-disciplined, I feel that God is pleased with me. But maybe it could be, if, if my house is clean, I feel that God is pleased with me. If I exercise, I feel like God is pleased with me. If I have relational peace, if everyone in my life is, likes me, then I feel that God likes me. If I have the approval of men. Whatever it may be, whatever you have elevated above God's law, you have to demote it. Jesus says, demote it. It has to be third, fourth, fifth. It's got to be lower than those first two commands. Every day uh, on the way into Cane Bay, I pass a billboard, and it says, love yourself first. And I don't know exactly why it's there or what they're trying to communicate, but Jesus says just the opposite. He says, love God first, love your neighbors second, love yourself third. Do not love yourself first. If Christ loved himself first, we would still be in our sin. That is no Christian way to live. Instead, we must let Jesus determine what is most important for us. And demote all other rules. And this brings us to point two. If you're following along in your outline, you'll see... Point two, what is true obedience? True obedience is abandoning superficiality. Okay, kids, that's a big word, superficiality. Uh, it means like shallowness. Um, there's no depth. It's like it looks good on the outside, but 
behind the behind the curtains is really bad and ugly, and um, it's just superficial obedience. It's shallow, surface level. And we need to abandon this. So let's look there at verses uh, 35 through 40. So Jesus is teaching in the temple. And he's calling into question the teaching of the scribes. So he's just had all these debates. He's going back and forth with the scribes. And now he's, he's really basically going at them. He's, a, he's uh, attacking them, you could say. He's um, exposing their bad theology. Let's look there at verse 35 through 37. Jesus says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit... Declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? Alright, so this is Jesus is using a logical argument here, so let me just walk you through it. Um, first, you have to understand that standard Jewish belief is that no son can be greater than his father. Father is always greater than the son. And the scribes are saying that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David, and therefore he's less than David. Jesus brings them, he's quoting from the Old Testament, he brings them to Psalm 110. That's what you see there. The Lord said to my Lord. And he points out that in this psalm, the Christ is calling, or sorry, David calls the Christ my Lord. And therefore, the Christ is actually above David, is higher than David. And therefore, the scribe's understanding of who the Christ is, is flawed. It's, it's one-dimensional. Again, it's a superficial understanding. They have misunderstood him. A modern-day equivalent of this would be just thinking Jesus is a good teacher. Now, who's Jesus? He's a good teacher. And Jesus comes and says, no... The Christ, the Messiah, that's Jesus, is greater than David. And he he rebukes the scribes for the superficial, one-dimensional view of Jesus. And then he moves on from, from um, critiquing their superficial religious theology, and now he's going to move to their actions. He's, he, he's now critiqued their theology, and now he's going to move and critique their actions. And that's what we see in verses 38 through 40. Look, look there. Uh, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So, Remember the context here. Jesus just told us, love God with all that you are. And now he switches, and he, this is a very a sharp contrast. He says, this is what the scribes love. And look look at what the scribes love. He uses the word like. What, what uh, makes them excited? Their own reputation. They love their own reputation. They love to look good. Nothing makes them happier. Nothing makes them spring out of bed in the morning more than their own reputation. Everything they do is one big show to make other people think highly of them. 
They follow the rules, but they've completely missed the point. They've completely missed God, and they've completely missed their neighbor. <clears throat> First, he says, look, when they get dressed in the morning, they put on these robes, they're thinking about their own reputation. When they greet people out in public, they're thinking about their reputation. Not about how to love God, not about how to love those people, but their reputation. When they pick their seat at church, when they decide where to sit, they're thinking about their reputation. When they pray, they're worried about how are people, how is this landing with people? When they pray. Because they love their reputation more than they love God or more than they love their neighbor. As I was preparing this, and even now, I'll tell you, I I read this about the scribes and I'm starting to, to get the scribes. I see myself in them. I feel like a lot, a lot like one of the scribes. When I get dressed in the morning, I, I think about what, what are people going to say about my outfit? What are people going to think? When I greet people, when I sit down in church, is this true for you? Is this what you're thinking about? Are you thinking about how to please God? Are you thinking about you put your clothes on in the morning? Next time you have a hard time choosing an outfit, ask yourself, is this outfit pleasing God? Is this outfit going to let me love my neighbors? And actually, you'll find a great sense of freedom will come upon you when you do that. There is great freedom in loving others. Jesus says, they will receive the greater condemnation. See, it's not just that God is not pleased with shallow obedience. It's that it is is much worse. He, He disdains it. He hates it. There's so many ways that this applies, but I'll just, I'll just throw out a couple. H- how do you decide if you're going to go to, event, to an event? How do you decide? We see the Pharisees, they decide basically, is this going to boost my reputation? That's their main criteria. If it boosts my reputation, I'll go. Maybe for some of you it's, um, will my friends be there? Uh, or is it convenient? What am I going to get out of it? Will it be fun? Will it be a great time? Am I going to make a memory? There's all kinds of things that we use to make decisions. Jesus says your deciding factor as you go through life that should permeate every decision you make is, does it, am I loving God? Does it help me love God? Does it help me, does it give me an opportunity to love my neighbor? That's the deciding criteria that should permeate all of our life. When you decide what to wear, where to sit, whether to stay home or to go out, Jesus says true obedience is motivated by love of God and love for others. And it's self-forgetful. Like I said, if, if you embrace this, there is a great freedom that you will find in loving others. All of a sudden, a lot of your anxious fears will go away. I, I literally had this happen this morning. I'll just share personally. I'm trying to decide what to wear to church. I know I'm going to be standing in front of people. What do people think about what I'm going to wear? 
you've all, you've all done this a thousand times. And then I thought, which outfit's going to help me love God and love others? And all of a sudden I was like, it doesn't really matter that much. Just don't wear something crazy. This is what it looks like to love God and to love others. This brings us to point three. Well, actually, first, let me say it. Kids, this means, really practically, it means when your parents tell you to clean your room, remember little Brandon? It means you should think, do I want to clean my room? Well, maybe I don't, but what does it look like to love God and to love my parents? Probably not shoving everything under the bed and not shoving everything in the closet, but actually cleaning your room. The most important commandment is to love God and others. This brings us to point three. What is true obedience? True obedience is loving sacrificially. To say it another way, true obedience is costly love. True obedience comes at a cost. True love comes at a cost. There is no free option. So we... We have a very helpful contrast to the scribes. Mark, uh, I think, strategically puts this story of the poor widow there to give us this contrast. And this widow gives us what it actually looks like to love God with our hearts and with our minds and with our soul and with our strength. Look there at verse 41. And... Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Okay, so pause there for a second. Just keep in mind that in those days, it's unavoidable that when you bring your offering, it's a public thing. People are going to know how much money you put in the offering. It's going to be coins. It's going to make a lot of noise. It's going to be very visible. It's not just a check or something that you drop in a a plate. It's going to be physical stuff, coins, animals, you know, and this is going to create a lot of opportunity for people to be generous for the sake of their own reputation, generous for the sake of surface obedience. Let's keep going. Verse 42. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So again, Jesus is watching. And he's not impressed by these large sums. I mean, you can imagine someone dumping a bag of like silver coins. It's going to make a lot of noise. There's going to be lots of people kind of ooing and aahing. Wow, look at how generous Johnny is. Jesus is not impressed. But the poor widow drops in two small coins, and he gets fired up. He gets excited. He calls his disciples over. He's like, hey, look, come look at this. Look. He's fired up. This is true obedience. This is what true love looks like. There is someone who really obeys me, who really loves me. There's someone who's not giving for the applause of men. Make no mistake, there was not a lot of people there that were impressed when those two pennies fell into the offering box. 
but Jesus was. He was very impressed. He was very encouraged because she was loving God. What was different about her offering? What was different about this widow's offering? See, what everyone else, everyone else was giving, and that's a good thing, but what they were giving was not costing them much. It was not a costly thing. It didn't affect their, their uh, status in life. It, it wasn't affecting their day-to-day or impacting their lifestyle. In fact, you could say that their expression of generosity actually got some, gave them some clout in the community. Like, yeah, he's a generous guy. He's that guy who gives a lot. You could say that they maybe even earned social capital. But she did not. She did not earn anything from the small offering. In fact, Jesus tells us that she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Her next meal would need to be supernaturally provided for her by God or through human means. She does not know where her next meal is coming in once he drops that money in the offering. Can you imagine being destitute, being a widow, having nothing, and just just putting the last of your cash reserves into the offering? This is costly obedience. This is costly love. See, superficial obedience says, yeah, I'll obey just as long as I get something out of it. Just as long as I get some praise from men, as long as I get respect, as long as I look good. But true obedience, true love, is costly. It's not always costly, but it eventually it will be. Uh, kids, imagine you're you're the new kid in high school. And a lot of you are homeschooled, so maybe this won't land with you. But parents, if you went to high school, it'll land with you. The high school cafeteria. You're the new kid in school. You're a freshman. And you walk into the cafeteria. You've got to choose where to sit. This is a, this gave me so much stress as a high school student. You walk in. You see the jocks. You see the nerds. You see the band kids and the eclectic kids. And you're like, where am I going to sit? And imagine that you go and you try to sit with the cool kids. You're like, I'm going to reach for the stars. And they, you sit down. They just look at you and they go, what are you doing? Get out of here. You are you cannot sit with us. So what do you do? You just stand up humiliated and you walk and you sit by yourself. And you just kind of resign yourself to a life of sitting alone for lunch in the cafeteria. But then imagine one day, after you've given up, you've given up hope on being with the popular kids. Uh, the big man on campus walks into the cafeteria, and there you are sitting by yourself. And this guy is the star quarterback. He's the valedictorian. He's the most popular guy. All the girls love him. Everybody loves him. And he walks by the athletes. He walks by the band kids. He walks by the smart kids. And he sits with you. He sits with you. When he has nothing to gain. He has nothing to gain. You have nothing to offer him. He has everything to lose. This is a picture of, of real love, real obedience. 
cares about people. Not about superficial, not about surface level, how is it going to look, but people, and about pleasing God. No matter the cost to our reputation. And you may, you may find yourself thinking, nobody loves like that. I struggle to find an example because, frankly, I think back to my high school and there was no one who did anything like that, as far as I knew. This is a dog-eat-dog world. There is, How could you ask me to love like this? Nobody loves like this. Well, Christians, we know, we know that there is one who actually loves like this. There is one and only one who has loved you in this way. Our call to worship today from John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Christians, we have a God who loved us when he had nothing to gain. He needs nothing from us. And he stooped down and he, he loved us when it was costly. Philippians chapter 2 talks about exactly this idea of Christ's humiliation, him giving up his reputation for our sake. Just like that kid in the high school cafeteria. This is what it says. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. How obedient, how obedient was he? To the point of death, even death on a cross. That's costly. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Christian, God's love for you is not superficial. It is not shallow. He abandoned all pretense, all superficiality. He got down into the dirt for you. He paid the ultimate price for loveless sinners. Loveless sinners like you and me. He crossed much more than the cafeteria. He didn't just cross the cafeteria. He crossed the divide between heaven and earth, and eventually Hades, to pay the price for you. And his love is what propelled him. For God so loved the world. He was propelled, he was motivated by this, the essence of the law. Only Jesus loves you like this. There is no one else. Not the closest person in your life loves you this way. We all love each other with a measure of love. But Christ alone will love you to the end. 
without hesitation, day in and day out. And he is worthy of our praise, is he not? So let's pray. God, as we reflect on this law, it is so clearly supernatural, Lord. No man would ever demand so much of us because it's so obviously impossible for us to spend every waking moment of our lives thinking about how to love you and how to love others. We do not live up to this. We simply do not. And it's because of that, Lord, that you came and you lived up to this. Every step that you took, every breath, every day when you woke up, you had one motivation, and that was the love of your people and the love of God the Father. And we praise you that you have fulfilled this law when we could not. Lord, please help us. Give us the freedom to love each other the way you love us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.